Hello, everyone. This is your nerd extraordinaire and owner of Tubby & Koo's Mid-City Bookshop, Candace Huber. The weekend of April 21st and 22nd, 2018, I had the pleasure of selling books at the New Orleans Poetry Festival. The fest began in 2016 as the brainchild of Megan Burns of Trembling Pillow Press and Bill Lavender of Lavender Inc. Dialogos. The fest has grown exponentially since then, and it is a space for an inclusive and diverse group of writers to collaborate, share, and influence each other while also being immersed in the distinct literary culture of New Orleans. One of the best things about sitting in the middle of this intersectional fest of poets was being able to pin some of these amazing creators down for brief conversations. In this special bonus episode of Novel Ideas, I bring you 12 two to six minute conversations with a variety of voices. I truly hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. You can find more content on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash tubby and coos. Our YouTube channel, search for tubby ampersand coos with an apostrophe S and subscribe. And our blog at tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also join our Goodreads discussion group. Just search for tubby ampersand coos with an apostrophe S. And of course, you can find more information about the bookshop, upcoming events, and more on our website, www.tubbyandcoos.com. You can also listen to Novel Ideas episode number 79, where I interviewed Bill Lavender about the Poetry Festival. The music in this bonus episode is Brave by Jonathan Colton. And now, on with the conversation. I'm here at New Orleans Poetry Festival with Angela Peñarodondo. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Um, I am a poet, but I'm also a writer that's interested in creating hybrid literary genre. And I'm also a multimedia artist, so I also create um, video poems and sound collages related to what I write. That's awesome. <laughs> With the multimedia. I don't know if I've ever seen like a sound collage or like a video poem. I'll have to go look that up. Oh, I wish you were at my, our panel then. I know. <laughs> I'm stuck at the book table. Um, so tell us about an early experience that you had that really helped you to learn that language had power. Mm, I think the earliest experience was actually when I was by myself, like in a place of silence and a place of like really deep vulnerability. It was during that those formative years, as we all know, mm-hmm. being young and uh, a teenager and, and isolated and queer or immigrant or what have you. And so that was a place when I had that connection with myself, that language was important, that language was powerful, but it was a really like secret, really personal, quiet time of journaling and it was just extremely personal and intimate and that was probably one of the earliest times that I can imagine or that I can remember learning more about myself and my identities through language. That's awesome yeah and I think that's also an experience that a lot of us can relate to Mm -hmm. as well I think because language I think helps people um, get through certain things too. It's very therapeutic, very cathartic. Yes, definitely. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you online or buy your stuff or watch your stuff or listen to your stuff apparently? Yeah. Um, My website, which is 
it's it's, it's on, but it's gonna be better. Okay, <laughs> it's, I'm improving it. It's uh, www. A as in Angela, and then my last name, which is very very long. It's Pena Redondo. It's P E N A R E D O N D O dot com. And you can find my book on there, All Things Lose Thousands of Times, my chapbook on there too. And it should connect you also to an Amazon page where you can purchase the book. And you can see some of my videos on there and get updated, maybe updated on my upcoming (laughs) readings. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, y'all, I'm here at Poetry Festival with Brad Richard. Hi, Brad. Hi, Candace. Great to be here. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. All right. So I am a poet and teacher living in New Orleans. I direct the creative writing program at Lusher Charter School. And among other things that I do outside of school, I also co-curate with Elizabeth Gross uh, The Waves, which is a mostly quarterly uh, LGBTQIA plus reading series. I call that the quilt bag. <laughs> That's what it is. It is. Um, and I have been writing poetry since I was a teenager. Um, I studied at the University of Iowa and Washington University in St. Louis. My first book, Habitations, was basically um, looking a whole lot like poems that I loved, you know. Um, and then after that, pretty much everything else that I've been doing has been a reflection of whatever I'm obsessed with at the time. So my second book, Motion Studies, is an obsession with a painting by Thomas Aikens and with the uh, destruction uh, that happened to the Gulf Coast in New Orleans after Katrina. Um, my third book, Butcher Sugar, came out of an obsession with my own history as a man and with mythology, with Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and my current project, um, his working title is Fear, that's probably going to change, but it is out of an obsession with an imaginary kingdom ruled by a pathetic tyrant. Uh, there is a terrible war going on that's very confusing, and the king's nemesis is a mythologically gigantic blue wasp who lives in a burrow beneath the palace. And that sounds awesome. Thank and now you. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what do you think is the sort of plight of poetry in contemporary society? How do you how do you feel about that? Well, you know, or the, the state of poetry, right. I guess. Yeah. In, in this, society in the U.S. today. This is something I think about a lot. Um, because I'm a teacher, you know, and I'm hoping that my young people are going to go on to keep writing. And, you know, every once in a while, I think we're kind of past due. Like about every 13, 14 months, there's that article in the New York Times. Like, is poetry dead? Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a jerk off article, right? That has yeah. to, it's like, and it's just, they'd only do it, I think, to piss off poets, right? <laughs> but here we are. We're sitting at the book fair of this amazing poetry festival. Yes. Which is in its third year and has had brought in incredible people. And I am seeing poets of many different kinds walking around, talking to each other, and picking up books from presses of many different kinds. I tell people when they ask me that I think we've been living for the last several years in a golden age of poetry in the United States. There is so much good work being written and published. So many good journals, both traditional print journals and online journals. Um, 
and in amazing uh, independent presses, as we see around us. The only big threat that I see um, is bigger economic issues. University Press uh, Consortium of New England, I think I just got their name wrong, but it's <laughs> UPNE, um, which was a major distrib distributor of independent presses and specifically of poetry, they just shut down. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, I worry about the future of some of these really small presses. It's like it's one thing to be able to make these beautiful books and, and, and try to, you know, publish the work of deserving, especially younger writers, but then how is it going to get out into the world? So I think that's that's the big question to think about. Yeah, and I think, uh, for what it's worth, that because poetry, too, is such a vocal mm -hmm. art, that even if, for some reason, the, the presses stop, I don't think that would stop poetry because people will keep speaking it. You know, people will keep... I was just talking to another uh, poet about uh, how poets speak truth to power, and that's really poets' like power in society. And I think that poets will continue to do that even if it's not in print. I do too. Um, you know, poets uh, where, you know, people usually conceive of the poet as the little weirdo who can't deal with society and is just hiding away in his or her their room you know, uh, writing, but we seek each other out, you know, and we want to um, hear each other. And there are people who seek us out. So I think you're exactly right. Awesome. Well, where can people find you if they want to connect with you online or buy things from you? So um, currently the best way would be to find me just on Facebook um, or Twitter. I'm Brad Richard 04 on Twitter and I'm just Brad Richard uh, <laughs> on Facebook. Um, and there will be a website soon. Ooh, awesome. So okay. Also through um, The Wordworks, which published Motion Studies, my second book, and Sibling Rivalry Press, which published Butcher's Sugar. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Candace. It was great. Hi, I am at Poetry Festival with Saba Syed Razvi. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing really good. So how about uh, introduce yourself and tell us about your work? Sure. Well, I'm a poet from Texas, and it's not too far away from here. No, and I not. love this scene. I love this festival, so I'm really happy to be here. Um, I teach at the University of Houston in Victoria, uh, English and creative writing, and my poetry deals with lots of different issues. I'm interested in uh, gender, sexuality, Sufism, uh, the issues that American Muslims deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm interested in mythology and folklore and the classics and the goth scene. <laughs> awesome. And all kinds of wonderful <laughs> punk stuff, too. So That all sounds like things that I would really like. <laughs> so I will definitely check out one of your books. <laughs> and so tell us, how important do you believe accessibility of poetry is? Do you think that readers should have to, like, work to solve a poem? Or do you think it should be just, like, out there what the meaning of it is? I think that's a wonderful question. And I think... If people want to work for meaning in poetry, I think they should. And if they don't want to, they shouldn't have to. I think there's room for both. You know, poetry um, across across the ages tends to uh, take up so many different issues, so many different approaches, and there's room for diversity of approach as well as there is a voice. And uh, some people really love the challenge of puzzling something out, but then there's also something about sound and the musicality of language that is also important. 
you can enjoy poetry even if you don't know the language, right? So I agree. Heard, we just heard some poems in Spanish, and, um, and they were beautiful, and a lot of people in the audience did not understand the language, but were carried away by the cadence and the rhythm and the sound. Poetry has so much more than just literal meaning when it comes to words. Yeah, I so. think that's what makes poetry really great. It's a little bit like music and philosophy, yeah. like all mixed together. And so it can be accessible if you want it to be, and it doesn't have to be if you don't want it to be. So. That's true. Well, thank you very much. You're and where can welcome. people find you or connect with you online? Yeah, so you can go to my website, www.sabarazvi.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Um, but all that info is on my website. So if you want awesome. to look at that, you can. <laughs> and, uh, and spell that for us. It's S-A-B-A-R-A-Z-V-I. Got it. So S-A-B-A-R-A-Z-V-I dot com. Yes. Awesome. And you can find my books through Agape Editions or Jack's Press or Finishing Line Press. And my uh, two newest collections that are out right now are Heliophobia and In the Crocodile Gardens. Great. So definitely go check that out. Thank you so much, Sapa. Thank you. I'm here at Poetry Festival with Charles Alexander. Hi, Charles. Hi. And can you tell us a little bit about you and your work? Sure. Uh, first of all, I live in Victoria, Texas. I uh, recently published my sixth full-length book of poetry, which is called At the Edge of the Sea, Pushing Water 2. I've been working on this pushing water project, you know, because we walk around, we're pushing water because we are water. Right. It, it is, uh, it's a very rich, both real and metaphorical presence and of course I started it when I lived in the desert in Tucson Arizona <laughs> and but now I live uh, 25 miles from the Gulf of Mexico so you know there's a poem in there about the uh, the estuary which is where salt and fresh water meet and uh -huh. are always pushing back and forth on each other and it's just a rich area for birds and all kinds of things but it's it's rich to me in thinking of borders between things and and, and I think even borders between language and person and what that might be has been important to my work for a long time. Oh, interesting. And so tell us if there are any poets that you really didn't like at first that you then grew into later on and, and what that process was. Well, there's some of these you know great poets, you know, like I didn't kind of get John Milton at first and Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained, but... As I learned more, I think, about poetry, as I listened more and opened my ears, I mean, that language of man's first disobedience and the fruit thereof, I, I love that oracular thing. It relates to William Blake. It relates to a lot of things that uh, I, I also love. And, you know, in more, maybe more contemporary work, it relates to Robert Duncan, who was a poet in the 60s, 70s, 80s, who uh, was important to me. So... Lots of things can open up. I think Gerard Manley Hopkins I didn't like so much at first. Lord Byron. Yeah. Uh, but sure, you know, it's he's, he's funny as hell now. <laughs> <laughs> and so where can people find you if they want to connect with you or, or buy your things? Well, I run a press too, which is oh, cool. Chax, C-H-A-X Press, and Chax.org online and then I'm also you know on Facebook and and I my email is checkspress at gmail.com and uh, I don't really have a personal web page but, okay. uh, but I'm pretty easy to find okay awesome well thank you so much thank Charles you. all right hey 
Hey everyone, I'm here at the Poetry Festival with Kristen Latour. Hi Kristen. Hello. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. I write a lot of free verse poems and I write a lot of persona poems pretending to be someone that I am not. Cool. Yes. And Kristen has a really awesome poetry book that is actually one of my favorite. <gasps> wow. I love it so much. Thank and you. And your Barbie poem <gasps> is one of the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. So yes, my lack of having a Barbie in my youth yes. to a poem. So everyone should look up Kristen Latour's Barbie poem because it's great. <laughs> anyway, so so what do you think is the role of the poet in modern society today? I think the role of the poet is to speak truth to power. So we have a voice that we can use to say whatever we want to say. And so many people are using that voice to point out what's going on in the world, how to make the world a better place, making us aware. And I really wish that more people would read poetry and not be so scared of it so that that voice would be heard more. Because poets agree. do not write for other poets. Poets write for people the same way fiction people do. So Yes, I yeah. agree. I think a lot more people should be reading poetry. And yeah. I think that's an awesome answer because I think poets have a power over language Yes. To like speak that truth to power that's like in a different way, I guess, right. than what you would see. Right. right, than reading a news story. So it's like reading a news story, but way more exciting and way more interesting. And it makes you actually want to do something rather than just curl up in a ball and cry. Exactly. Yes. That's very true. Yes. And so where can people find you if they want to connect or buy your stuff? They can look in two places. They can go to my website, kristinlatour.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-L-A-T-O-U-R. Or you can go to the Sundress website. So look for Sundress Publications on the Google. And you can look for my author page and buy my book there. So either way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Poetry Festival with P.F. Potman. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing pretty well. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. I'm a Michigan-based fiction writer and poet. I focus on narrative and specifically the prose poem. I'm interested, right now I'm working on a collection that has to do with fatherhood. Cool. And I'm the father of two, a uh, boy and a girl. Awesome. And so what is the most difficult part of the artistic process for you? I think as is kind of obvious, um, I'm a single dad with two kids. And so the, uh, finding time to write is the hardest part. There's seven and two. I can two. only imagine. <laughs> so between that and a full-time teaching gig, um, just finding the time to write. I always have more than enough inspiration. And like I said, focusing on the theme right now of fatherhood, I have more than enough material to work with. Yeah. So kind of a follow up question to that is like how do you do how do you find the time? Like what are what is a strat some strategies that maybe you use? Before bed or after the kids go to bed and um, before I go to bed, uh, getting up early in the morning is helpful, but that's not my best time. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's more like uh, 2 a.m., you know, wake up to get a bottle ready and stay up then and do a little bit of work. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I could even do that. <laughs> so tell us where can people find you if they want to connect with you or buy your work. Sure. You can find me at pfpotbin.com or Amazon, uh, other places. I have a book called The Attention Lesson 
which is a collection of prose poems and so that's that's what's out there now in other literary journals and other places you can google me okay awesome and you spell that p-o-t-v-i-n correct okay so p-f potvin and people can find you online great great well thank you so much thank you I'm here at Poetry Fest with Sawako Nakayasu. And how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Well, um, I am a poet and translator, and I also do performance, performance art, I guess you would say. And a lot of those things merge at various points in time. What time of performance art do you do? Um, It's almost always text-based, even though it might not always be sounded text. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I speak it, but sometimes it's printed, or sometimes it's um, a performance of something that, of a poem or something else that's been published. I do a lot of different things. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I've been interested in speaking with someone who does translation work. Yeah. And so what do you, or do you think that translated work can do true justice to the original piece in the new language? And um, and just expand on that a little bit. I'm just, yeah. I'm just curious. Well, I love the way you use the word justice, which is often um, used when speaking about translation, but... As with the word justice in other contexts, um, the idea of doing justice in translation is also similar in the sense that you could ask that question, what is that justice? And what does justice mean to various people? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, sometimes we translate poetry where that poet um, who originally wrote that work may or may not be alive. Um, so it becomes a question of, whose perspective of justice are we trying to honor? And I'm interested in translation as a space where we can ask questions about what the right answers are. And those are kind of political questions and translation yeah. is very political because it, you know, it's literature crossing borders and crossing languages and um, passing through different hands. So there are a lot of implications about it that are interesting um, when we consider who we're trying to serve. Are we serving the text? Are we serving the original author? Do we know what that author wanted? Or are we serving some other interest based on the culture that we come from and how we as translators or readers have come to that text? So it's it's a huge question. It is. It's a very big question. Yeah, and um, there are many things to say about it. And I'm interested in um, trying to look for new questions around something that we've we've always thought that we had this impossibility around translation. But I'm also interested in the other side of that coin and what multiple possibilities lie in that process. Sometimes in the process rather than in the product. So actually the thing I did yesterday at the Spotted Cat was a group, silent, multilingual translation performance. Oh, wow. Where I I read a poem and then I went through it a little bit more slowly and invited everybody in the audience to silently translate 
line by line or phrase by phrase into a different language in their own heads. So the performance took place inside everyone's minds wow. as they each translated it into a different language. So it was multilingual, but none of us got to hear it. Right. Um, but everybody was experiencing it. Yes. And um, is that translation or is that interpretation? Right. It's an interesting boundary too. So I'm I'm asking a lot of questions. Yeah, it is. It's a really interesting question too. And and I'm I'm also interested in the the culture perspective of it as well yeah. because when we talk about poems, you know, I'm obviously Western. You know, I come from Western culture. I'm like I'm Western you know, too. Yeah, we're all wear yeah. so like coming from you know if you're American just in general and mm-hmm. being here in Western I think you pulled something different than people who aren't of the same culture and yeah. and whether and we have a lot of different cultures too here you know so it's just it's an interesting to cultural question because what means something to me means something totally different yeah. to someone else yeah so tra- trying to translate that meaning you know but then it, it also creates something new for the person reading it. Right. And so then, like right. you're saying, it's like, but okay, also, so what's the purpose, yeah, right? But with poetry, we, we forget, you know, we just because we're reading a poem in English, just because we know the language, we assume we're going to understand the poem. That's true. <laughs> and in reality, there's so much we don't understand, even within our own language. Yeah. So I try to, you know, not see it as so distant or foreign by being in a foreign language that there are kind of... Um, a wide range of um, of interpretation and miscommunication or misinterpretation even within language. Yes. And so all those things are um, interesting to kind of play off against each other as a continuum of understanding or communication or you know, poetic emergence of something, of some element. Definitely. And, and a lot of poetry is about emotion too. So if it's evoking an emotion. Yes. Does it really matter what the words yeah. are if it's evoking the the quote right or intended yeah. emotion, yeah. right? <laughs> so where can people find you if they want to uh, connect with you online or, or buy things from you? Um. Well, I guess I have a website and it's sawakonakayasu.net. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I I guess that's where I, I'm on Facebook. Okay. Uh, I feel funny saying that loud yeah. because I might just get off at any given moment. That's that's totally fair. Um, so your website would be the best place yeah. to find things. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. y'all i'm here at poetry festival with el aviv newton how are you doing today i'm doing mighty well how are you doing i'm doing very well so tell us a little bit about yourself and your work sure i'm a writer and an editor i originate in oakland california um currently i live sort of down the coast in monterey i'm here today as the editor of poets reading the news with my fellow editor jenna spaniolo so we started this great platform for poetry about the journalistic method can i say it again Cool. Yeah. Or, yeah, I just totally fucked just up. Say the whole it again and I'll edit this. Part yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I do podcasts too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here as co editor of Poets Reading the News, and we're a platform for journalism in verse. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as an editor, mm-hmm. how does one judge poetry? Is there a yardstick that you use to determine whether a poem is good or not? Um,. Yeah, it's such a hard question. I'm asking, why did I say yes to answering that one? Look, poetry, it's its such a personal process. So I think, you know, if you read something and it resonates with you, then it has power. 
Uh, and you know, of course, beauty means different things to different people. Some would argue beauty isn't even the point of poetry at all. It's about whether it has a positive impact or whether it's extremely relevant. So, you know, as an editor, as an editor for Poets Reading the News, I get to judge work in terms of is this representing, is this conveying really important ideas and is it doing so with a strong poetic backbone? Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think that it's... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think I think poetry matters to the person who's reading it, right? Yeah, uh, and it if really it does, does, then it's working, and if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Just so, read what you love to read, I'd say, and also challenge yourself to to explore new mediums and new styles that maybe have never appealed to you before. So give things a chance, you know. Definitely. So where can people find you and connect with you and buy your stuff if they would like to? I would invite everyone to visit poetsreadingthenews.com and that's where you'll find our platform and you can read our work and buy our swag and get our books. It's fabulous. Come over. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. That was really good. Hey, y'all. I'm here at Poetry Festival with M.G. Roberts. Hello. Hello. And so tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. So my name is M.G. Roberts, and for better or worse, I'm a poet. I live in the Bay Area. My first book is entitled Not So See um, from Durga Press, and my second book um, is entitled Animal Uttermek, and it's from Black Radish. Cool. And so is it like general poetry? Because we've had a lot of different types of poets. Um, you know, I've been marketed experimental. Uh, I think it's, a, you know, a marketing scam of sorts, <laughs> um, but that's where I am. Okay, cool. And so does writing poetry energize you or does it exhaust you? You know, I hate writing poetry. I find it, like, really tedious. What I really like is to revise. I love to revise. I will revise a poem to shit. Um, and I don't know, I think that like maybe, you know, perhaps it's like why I am a poet to live in a constant state of revision. Yes. Like feels like normal to me. Um, so I think that like. So writing exhausts you and revising energizes you? Yeah, yeah. I love revision. Like, you know, like every moment is like a possibility to like revise, like, you know, oneself and one's work. So I think that's the best aspect for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I love revision. I'm an editor um, as well, and so revising stuff is just comes more naturally to me than yeah. sitting down to write things. Yeah. <laughs> so if people want to connect with you, where can they find you and your work? So I'm on Facebook. That's MG Roberts. And Twitter, MG415. Um, you can buy my books at SPD Books. And you can also find me at Kelsey Street Press because I'm one of the senior editors. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. I'm here at New Orleans Poetry Festival with Lexi Patrick. Hi, Lexi. Hello. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. All right. Um, well, I am kind of new to the poetry scene. Very, very new. I just started doing some in college. I never even really looked at poetry before college and until I did an intro to creative writing class and I kind of fell in love. So then I joined the uh, Wordsmiths over at my college, which is the creative writing club there. And it's been ancient history ever, ancient history ever since. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah. so tell us, who is your favorite underappreciated poet? Christian Bach. 
because he actually does a lot of thi- what's called sound poetry or sonic poetry. Okay. It sounds ridiculous, but it is a trip to listen to. So for those who don't know what sound poetry is, can you explain a little bit? Sound poetry is poetry that has to be performed because of the way that the words are meant to be said. Um, it's, it's really weird because it sounds almost like a... It almost sounds like a song that someone's making out of words, but it's just got a weird beat and rhythm and canter to it that I can't exactly explain. You just kind of got to look it up yourself. Yeah. Okay, cool. And where can people find you if they want to connect or buy things from you? Um, They can connect with me um, on Gmail, um, Literary Diabetic, um, or Facebook. I'm Lexi Patrick, L-E-X-Y. Patrick, look for the picture of the girl in a small Thomas the Tank Engine, and that's me. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lexi. All right. Thank you very much. I'm here at Poetry Festival with Susie. Hi, how are you? Hey. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay. I am a writer and an artist. I do poetry, fiction, essays, and I also publish Red Mare, which is an artist-made chapbook series okay of poetry each a different poet each edition okay cool and so tell us do you think the internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry and if so how yes very much so and I'll give you an example okay I have a Facebook friend who I'd only known as a cyber buddy Mm -hmm. and I really liked him he was groovy he was an English guy does tattoos all those stuff that I like to do and I said I'm gonna be in New Orleans for this festival and he came down oh cool so now he's like a real friend in the physical world as well as you know because intellectual people the cyber world is kind of where we are sort of you know we're in our own cloud right and so it helps us connect our cloud to other clouds it helps us communicate beyond our geographical boundaries it helps us have a sense of community outside of our physical community and it helps us do things like come to this event because that's how I found out about it was through social media. So I see po- uh, social media as a very positive and um, active tool for people who are trying to keep the groove going of arts as a viable and soul-fulfilling aspect of our lives. Awesome. And so if people want to connect with you or find you or buy your things, where can they do that? Well, you have your choice of Etsy, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Okay. And I'm on Instagram as XSUZI00. Facebook has me as SU and then a dot and then ZI. And I can't remember if it's two or three zeros. And then my press has a Facebook page for itself, okay. Red Mare Magazine. And then Twitter handle, I think, is the same as the Instagram handle, so I could remember. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, y'all. I'm here at Poetry Festival with Douglas Kearney. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Have you been having a good time at the fest? Yeah, it's been good. I haven't, I mean, this is my first time being in New Orleans. So, you know, being able to come here under like the, uh, you know, kind of context of poetry and having these great conversations and seeing good panels has been awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your work in general. All right. Um, I'm oftentimes interested in kind of finding this sort of space where the personal lyric and social criticism uh, kind of overlap. I'm really interested in the intersections of 
entertainment and violence, especially as that um, impacts African-American subjects. Yes, and I think it's amazing. If you don't know who Douglas Kearney is, you should, (laughs) for sure. And so what do you think as far as poetry? It's very vocal as well (laughs) as writing. So what do you think is that relationship between your speaking voice and your writing voice when it comes to poetry? that's That's a really great question. I mean, I think it was Amiri Baraka who made this observation that the way people talk um, and you know he's speaking largely about sort of like black folks in the, the 60s and 70s is not necessarily and I, and I hope I'm not getting this wrong but is not inherently poetic that poetry is still an intervention in the voice right it's an intervention in the speech of the demotic mm-hmm. and some of that is like to resist this idea that there's not an art that's being cultivated that it's all just sort of like innate that like you know black people are just born being able to do stuff yeah. which makes it sound like there's no cultivation there's no skill there's no culture um, and so I think about that a lot, like when my, my writing voice is a heightened, is a, uh, is a you know, kind of subverted version, a remix version of not only the way that I talk, but more about just the kind of different sorts of discourses that I hear. Um, and so I think that that's a really important way of thinking about what I do with the writing. I mean, like, I think the most central kind of way that I've thought about this is that for a long time people have called certain vernacular tri- uh, traditions broken English yes and I try to think of them more as double jointed so how can you create a double jointed syntax syntax that uses what seems to be sort of lack within um, a, a form of verbal expression to actually create multiplicity so that's something that I'm really interested in that is amazing you and know. so as far as this is a question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask, but oh. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, based on what you do and all the things that you just said, is like the role of the poet in today's society? Like, oh, what wow. is what what do poets or what should poets do? Or is there one? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that one of the things that poets have done for a long time is, you know, a kind of a way of treating the language that's being spoken, that's being written, a way of treating it and kind of transforming it in a way that simultaneously preserves certain aspects of it, at the same time that it creates entirely artificial <laughs> right, right, ways of dealing with it, right? Right. Maybe it's kind of like you know, a bedazzled plaster version of a dinosaur skeleton. Like when you read an old <laughs> poem, it's like, that's the shape of it, but I don't think they had rhinestones on them. Right. And I think that that's been, I think that that's one of the things that poetry can do. And I think that that's one of the things that poetry may do regardless of different sociopolitical conditions of any given time. Um, I think that's one of the things that poetry is really good at doing. Um, but through that transformation of language, I think it also does allow us to see different possibilities in the way that we're ordering and understanding the world that we're engaged in. So much of our world is, world is mediated by language. Yes. That once you get into the realm of poetry, yeah. you realize how much you can uh, rework language, rethink language, or how poetry encourages you to read language more closely. I think that all of those things are quite useful in a time in which so much, whether it's verbal or written or visual, when we're, our attention is on language, um, it can help us engage the time uh, in, different, in different and perhaps more active and activated ways. At the same time, you know, I mean, like, I'm not necessarily interested in instrumentalizing poetry, you know, in the sense of, like, we, we understand poetry's usefulness 
by how it can help us do a different thing. I have thoughts about that that are important to me, but I know that that's not why everybody comes to poetry. And I know that that's not the only reason that people should come to poetry. So I try to separate some of the things that I'm interested in doing from what I think poetry can do um, and what poetry tends to do. Great. And so where can people find you if they want to connect with you or buy your stuff? What, what's the best place for them to go for that? If people want to buy my stuff, <laughs> they should go to DouglasKearney.com, D-O-U-G-L-A-S-K-E-A-R-N-E-Y.com. In terms of connecting with me, I'm going to try to do better, but I've largely sort of uh, disconnected from <laughs> I from totally Facebook. understand I, that. I still have a profile um, and all of that, but I don't check it the way I should. Um, and largely because I don't have as much time to keep up with everybody else's stuff. And I feel really just basically kind of shitty if the only reason I use Facebook is for my own for stuff. You. So yeah. I'm just kind of like... I'll just leave the house. Right. You know, you know like, like I can't manage if I can't manage the time and I can't manage this sort of this sort of dilemma of ethos, then I'm just gonna like sit there arrested with the Facebook, just sort of sitting there, you know, aggregating information. So yes. okay. So the best way to connect with me is if is if I'm in your town and I'm doing a reading or something like that and I see you, come up, say something. And all chat. those events are on the website. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Or they can Google you, they right? They can Google and I'm sure me. Like, I mean, like, like they, they're, they're, that's what they should do every day. Just like Google me. Just Google last your name 24 over hours. And over. Last 24 hours. What happened? What happened? What happened? That's the best way. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Douglas. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> this podcast is recorded and produced in partnership with WRBH Reading Radio 88.3 FM Good New Orleans. Things never last long when you've come to.